0: I'm Nicole Bonder, and you are listening to Inspirato's Audio Drama Showcase, a series of six 10 minute audio plays all on the theme of in touch. You are about to hear More Than Kin by Ron Davies. After receiving grim medical news, an old man reaches out to his next of kin, a play that looks at the difficulty of forgiveness. Advisory warning this play deals with sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised.
1: When I went in to see the doctor he was looking at my file on his computer and I could see on the screen the form I filled in when I first became his patient. There was one line I'd left empty. He asked, who's your next of kin? That was the moment when I realized the test results weren't good. Later while he was explaining about grades and stages and metastases, my thoughts kept going back to the question I hadn't answered. Who was my next of kin? My brother had passed on, he never had kids. Last year, I heard from a former neighbor that my ex-wife died of a stroke. There was only one person now who was closely related to me by blood or marriage. My daughter. And I hadn't been in touch with her since she was 11. On the way home from the clinic, I went to the local library and logged on to one of their computers. I found my daughter's married name in her mother's obituary. That led me to a Facebook page and a LinkedIn profile and some posts in a support forum. I learned she's got two girls of her own now and that she's involved in organizing activities at their school. Her phone number was listed in a newsletter from the Parent Teacher Association. That evening, I talked things over with my sponsor and he agreed that now is the time to try to make amends. So on the weekend, I sat down at the kitchen table and called. I thought a mother with two kids might not be so busy Sunday afternoon. I hoped she'd have time to talk so we could put our issues to rest. But I was nervous. Maybe she wasn't ready for this. Maybe I wasn't either. I was almost ready to hang up and try again later when someone picked up the phone. Hello? She's older now, of course, but I recognized her voice. For a moment, I couldn't speak. Hello? Who is this? your father. And just like that, she says, my father's dead. It felt like a punch to the gut, like I was being pushed over the edge into my own grave. And then I realized she must mean her stepfather, the man my wife had married after our divorce. He helped to raise her after I was gone. It's your real father, I said. In the silence that followed, I flashed back to the years I'd spent on the inside. There was a room the guards called the personal visiting area, a small space divided in two by a low wooden counter and glass panels that went up to the ceiling. You sat on a stool on one side of the counter, and your visitor sat on the other. There were phones on hooks that you picked up and used to talk to each other. When my brother visited, the hardest part was not being able to shake his hand or throw my arm around his shoulders and hug him. All I could do was hold a hand up to the glass and fan out my fingers. Then my brother would do the same. Press his palm to the glass just where my hand was, spread his fingers so they lined up with mine. To the guard standing back by the door, it must have looked like our hands were touching, but there was always that hard sheet of glass between us. Now after what seemed like ages, my daughter said, You're not my real father. A real father would never have done the things you did. My daughter had always been a sweet girl, always eager to please, always trying to make peace at home, so I know she wasn't saying this to hurt me. She was only trying to cope with her own pain. I said, I did awful things, I admit it, but I loved you. I know it's hard to understand, but it's true. The way you touched me? The way you made me touch you? You think I've forgotten all that? You see, there was a time when she was a girl when my life fell apart. When as the first of the 12 steps says, my life became unmanageable. I didn't have any belief to sustain me, any purpose in life. I'd lost my teaching job after a stupid misunderstanding with a girl who came to me after school for help with a Shakespeare sonnet. After that, I couldn't get another, any kind of decent job at least. My wife, my ex-wife and I fought all the time. I had no friends, no one I could talk to about the things I loved like literature, music, and films. And like so many others, I looked for comfort in the bottom of a bottle, booze, pills, drugs, out in bars, on street corners, or on sagging sofas in rundown apartments, I did anything I could find. And late at night I'd stagger home and stand in the dark hallway listening to the silence. Sometimes I eased open the door to my daughter's room looking for someone to hold. For someone to hold me. I'd stay a while, and then spend the rest of the night on the sofa. Until one night I fell asleep, and I was still in her bed in the morning when her mother came in. Now I told my daughter, What I did was very wrong. I know I hurt you terribly. You think just saying that makes it better? I'm not like that anymore. I've changed. I faced the wrongs I did. Every day, I humbly ask God to remove my shortcomings. She laughed. <laughs> What's that? Step five or six? I was surprised. You know the 12 steps? They've got a version for survivors of abuse. So what are you doing? Step eight? Trying to make amends? Trying. And why now? After all these years? I explained what the doctor had told me, and she said, So, what do you want me to do about it? Which was funny, because the doctor had asked me almost the same question. After he told me the results of the scans, he said there were still a few treatments they could try. None was a cure, but they might give me a few more months. So, what do you want to do? He asked. I never talked to people about the time I served. But I found myself telling this doctor how nothing was worse than sitting in a cell day after day tormenting yourself with hopes of an early release that you know was never going to happen. I said I didn't see the point in just prolonging things. The doctor nodded and he said he'd probably feel the same if he were in my shoes. Then he started to write a prescription for painkillers and I reminded him I was an alcoholic and an addict. He frowned and said, that's not going to make any difference now. But you see, I'd taken a pledge, and I hadn't missed a meeting for years, and I wasn't going to start taking pills now. So he gave me a brochure that had a smiling nurse and pink scrubs on the cover and a phone number to call when I couldn't manage on my own. And then he leaned back in his chair and said, at least in the time that's left, do the things that give you pleasure. Eat whatever you want. Ice cream. Three times a day if that's what you feel like. I told all this to my daughter. And trying to keep the tone light, trying to make a joke of it, I said, You know me, I, I've never been that crazy about ice cream. What flavors will I like? And she said, Rum and raisin. It wasn't all that funny, but she started to laugh. And, and then she couldn't <laughs> stop. She went on laughing <laughs> and laughing until I realized that she wasn't laughing anymore, but sobbing. Sweetheart, don't. Please don't. Please stop. Please. But she couldn't. Step nine says you shouldn't try to make amends if it injures the person you've hurt in the first place. So I just said, I love you. And then, goodbye. It was only after I hung up that I realized that the whole time we'd been talking, I'd been sitting with my elbow on the table, hand in the air, fingers splayed, even though there was no glass in front of me, though there was no one facing me. I lowered my hand, wondering what I expected from the call, not forgiveness. I knew it was too late for that. Maybe it was too early, but I thought knowing I tried to get in touch might help my daughter find her own kind of peace. And at least now I had a contact from my next of kin, a phone number I could give the doctor's office, someone they could call when it was over. I'm going to fix things so my daughter gets the money left in my bank account, whatever money I haven't spent on ice cream. And I pray that sometime in the future, when she comes to think of her own kin, she comes to think of me she'll not be less than kind
0: you just heard more than kin by Ron Davies directed by Dominic Longcar with Brooke friendly as man and Patrice Henry as woman sound, music design and production by Jacob Soma assistant engineering by Mike Mirniak-Stuffield thanks for listening Be sure to check out the other 10-minute plays at Inspirato's Audio Drama Showcase at theaterinspirato.ca.